This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. You know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about different aspects of public health here on the podcast. And, uh, you know, one of the ones that is really most critical and something that has touched all of our lives in so many different ways is mental health and particularly when mental health develops into crisis mode. And that's something that statistically, anecdotally, we've seen a lot more of in the post, well, not post, but during the era of COVID-19. And there are so many underlying causes for this. There are so many things that we can do as a society to to address this um, at different stages. But the reality is that there are folks who are already deeply in the throes of crisis, sometimes unable to connect to friends, family, or anybody else uh, in an immediate sense to help them. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today is resolving that and and a new initiative that really serves, super serves that type of person. So joining us is BH Link's director, Joe Ash, to talk about the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Good morning, Joe, and thanks for your time. Hey, Bill. Pleasure to be here. So let's let's um, kind of set this up. First of all, 988, it's literally like similar to 911 or 311. You, you, it's a number. It's a phone number that will connect you uh, to a literal lifeline, 24-7 call, text, and chat access to a trained crisis counselor who can help anyone who's experiencing suicidal substance use or any sort of mental health crisis or any kind of emotional distress. Where did this program come from? And when did it originally launch? Yeah, so the the advent of the the BH Link uh, Triage Center and its accompanying call center opened back in November 2018. So we've been open for about four years now. Gotcha. And the intention of the the program, uh, which is a a, a state coordinated program, uh, was to be the alternative to the emergency room uh, for folks who were dealing with any sort of behavioral health crisis. So mental health, substance use. Oftentimes, we find that it's both. Uh, and really the intention is we want to pr- be a resource for the community and, and provide uh, the, le- the least restrictive uh, interventions possible. So it's keeping people out of the hospitals. It's, it's you know, steering people back towards community-based resources. Um, and so the call center, uh, which opened at the same time, uh, was meant to be a, a statewide line, our 414 link line. Uh, and what's interesting is about a year into the program, we ended up picking up the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline for all of Rhode Island. So if you've got a 401 area code, you're going to be getting our uh, call center. And the uh, when we when we picked it up, uh, you know, immediately the the answer rate kind of shot through the roof because of the the system of backups that we had, the way that we were able to be navigating calls with uh, crisis counselors and then simultaneously have backup by our clinical team and our master's level clinicians and our registered nurses who are uh, you know, psychiatrically trained. So a lot of the a lot of the things that 988 is kind of evolving to, and we'll probably talk about that more over the course of this conversation, uh, have already been things that we've been doing for years now. What's the biggest difference on a surface level between 988 and 911? I mean, the obvious thought is that 988 bypasses that original dispatcher who would then probably transfer you to uh, somebody who is a trained expert. But with 988, are you going to be um, connecting with somebody who's going to dispatch EMS, fire, police, whatever the case may be? Or 
with 988 is it more of hey this is a conversation in the moment what is what's the core difference there yeah you started off with a with a very big question that we're in the process of of tackling right now uh, you know one of the big aspects of project year 2 which we're which we're now in for the 988 initiative is the uh, incorporation and integration with local behavioral health mobile crisis teams that have either been working in the community for some time or are in the process of, you know, just launching or expanding in some cases. Um, but dispatch is is a word that's been on a lot of folks' minds um, right now in our state. Uh, what's interesting is that you know you started the question by asking how we compare to nine one one. Rhode Island's nine one one is is fairly unique by comparison to the rest of the country in that uh, Rhode Island's nine one one does not actually directly dispatch uh, emergency response services, right? So what they actually do, and I've talked to people about this and everyone is surprised, and I was personally surprised to hear this because it's not something that you think about actively, but what our 911 does in this state is they actually are a call transfer system. So they navigate the, the transfer of emergency calls and direct them to local municipalities uh, and, and those dispatch centers uh, so that they can make a determination of, are we sending out police? Are we sending out EMS? Um, but what's interesting is, as we start to explore those systems, uh, it's become pretty uh, pretty apparent to us that the um, integration of behavioral health response services uh, is not one that is so easy to accomplish. Um, whether it be uh, you know just being able to penetrate those dispatch procedures, which has a lot of implications around liability um, and the trust, uh, those things are factors that are not going to be um, hurdles that we're able to jump overnight, I guess I should say. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of work in terms of coordinating with the state, coordinating with 911, coordinating with at the local municipality level to really determine what's the most appropriate way of getting the most appropriate services to people in the community. You know, much in the way that I talked about the BH Link as being the alternative to the emergency room and being a way that we can keep people out of the hospital system when they don't need to be. Um, and and you know, kind of utilizing the most appropriate resources uh, based on the community's needs. Uh, we're looking at 988 in kind of the same way, right? We're trying to keep people away from having to utilize 911, away from having to utilize first responder services whenever possible. Um, and so a lot of the conversations that are happening in and around the state right now are having to do with what's the most appropriate way of doing this? What the, what's the safest way of doing this, right? And so it's, it's a loaded conversation that I wish I had the answer to right now. But I would say, you know, to your original question, what's the biggest difference between 911 and uh, 988 in that regard is 911 is actually routing to dispatch services. Uh, we are basically advertising ourselves as being an alternative to 911 for behavioral health crises. Uh, and and not even crisis. You don't need to be in crisis. We do prevention as well. So we're we're all about as proactively as possible, making sure that people are aware. They can give us a call. They can connect to us. They can have you know emotional support on the other side of the line. They can connect, be connected to uh, outpatient or uh, community based resources. So a lot of what we're doing is not only crisis response, but is prevention. But in the case of crisis response, the more people know. Uh, the more people who know about 988, the better, because that's going to be the first 
I guess, approach to diversion from 911 is actually mm-hmm. knowing that the resource is out there, knowing that they can contact our line directly, and then we can make a determination from there as to whether it's appropriate for us to initiate some site, some type of mobile crisis response and diversion from first responders, or if we need to you know, sort out some type of co-response because a lot of uh, local towns and cities are uh, setting up co-response models where a clinician or peer will go out into the community with uh, either an officer or EMS. Uh, but I can tell you a lot of people are uh, interested in avoiding uh, first responder contact whenever possible. Yeah, that's for sure. It's the, even anecdotally, that's that's a statistic that makes complete sense. Um, this this is available in an inclusive way, uh, certainly to a large extent. It's available in multi-language, uh, English and Spanish anyway, right now. Uh, it's available for those who are hard of hearing or blind. And it's also multimodal in the sense that you can text, chat, um, you know, or or obviously make the phone call. Um, who funds this program? So the fun the funding is an interesting uh, uh, consideration because as we proceed throughout you know subsequent project years, what we're going to find is that the the program itself is going to be uh, kind of funded by a number of different sources and that those sources are going to change. Right now, uh, to simplify things, I'll just say that it's it's a grant-funded program, right? But I think that uh, a lot of folks uh, in and around the 988 initiative, uh, not only in our state, but across the, across the country, are trying to explore ways of making this a more self-sustainable uh, uh, fund, or funded program. So what we're trying to do is solidify 988 and everything that we're in the process of building out and expanding upon right now, uh, we're trying to make sure that it's not one of those resources that like comes and goes in the blink of an eye. Everyone that we talk to recognizes that this is a, a hugely important service. And so it's a big priority for us to find a way that this is going to be kind of baked into the infrastructure of uh, behavioral health services, behavioral health care landscape within Rhode Island and really across the country. What's your own personal background? How did you get into this work? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, I I came into uh, behavioral health uh, because I, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people. I interview people on a daily basis as a director of, of a behavioral health program. And uh, I, I would say that my, uh, you know, my experiences are very similar to a lot of people who want to get into the field for the first time. Uh, I had, uh, you know, those personal experiences, both in my own life and, and with the loved ones around me who were experiencing behavioral health crises. And, um, and when you see the impacts of those behavioral health services, and when you see the importance of having resources and people that you can turn to, uh, and it touches you in a, in a meaningful enough way, it's, it's all the motivation that you need to, uh, to jump into the field. So my first, uh, kind of, uh, foray into, into behavioral health was actually working at, the adolescent inpatient unit at Bradley Hospital. Uh, so I worked there for about five years, and I, you know, when you, when you're working an inpatient, uh, you you see people uh, who you know are sometimes at the lowest point in their life. Uh, they've uh, they've you know been overwhelmed and overcome by a lot of the you know internal and external pressures and stressors in their lives, and uh, it takes a toll on people and. It, it really makes a difference to to know that there are uh, there are ways in which our community will catch 
those folks who are, uh, you know, dealing with that crisis uh, and help to kind of lift them, lift them up and bring them back to a point where they can uh, start to, you know, walk and navigate, uh, you know, everything that life has to throw at us, um, not on their own, but with a, with a built up support system and a, and a new set of coping skills. So that was, that was my start in the field is I, I started in uh, inpatient crisis um, and I kind of grav- gravitated towards community mental health. Uh, because the thing that I was noticing is for a lot of folks, um, whether you're talking about children, whether you're talking about adults, this can be a revolving door. Um, and the behavioral health care landscape and systems that we have in place are, are not there yet, right? Um, and there are, ways, there are ways in which uh, we don't have uh, enough resources invested in the transition from inpatient to outpatient levels of care, um, there are ways in which we have not even begun to scratch the surface on uh, what community-based supports really can look like, right? And that's a that's a conversation that really bleeds into a discussion of resources and and the way in which we are uh, valuing these types of services. Yeah, really great stuff right there. A couple more questions for Joe Ash in just a second. I want to tell you about my friends at Navigant Credit Union. As Rhode Island's first ever member-owned credit union, Navigant Credit Union has been a staple in the local business community for more than 108 years. Today, Navigant is a $3.4 billion institution serving more than 136,000 members across 25 physical branch locations. But since its founding in 1915, the mission has never changed. Navigant Credit Union's team of financial professionals have remained committed to improving the financial well-being of the families, businesses, and communities they serve across Rhode Island. Learn more at navigantcu.org. That's navigantcu.org. Joe Ash is the director of BH Link, and we have um, you know, a couple more minutes here, and, and we're talking about the, the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. What's, what's your plan to get this out to, to a wider audience? Because I think it's something that everybody, everybody knows 911, obviously. I mean, that's as basic a statement as you can get. What sort of marketing plan are you going into schools? Are you going into, you know, military? Obviously, there's the VA provides very specific t- uh, tailored services as well. But folks who have just come back from uh, tours of duty or whatever it may be, how are you reaching the general public? And how are you reaching those who are most likely susceptible statistically to falling into a moment of mental health crisis? Yeah, I can. I, w- I work on the program side quite, so I can't speak to all of the specific details around what the marketing campaign will entail. But uh, we are into uh, into the second year, the second project year of nine eight eight, and what that year entails is, in fact, the launch of a national marketing campaign. So a lot of our first year was, you know, building up the uh, building up the capacity to answer calls, answer answer the anticipated increase in volume that we're obviously going to see because we know the need is out there. Um, and so a lot of what we're going to be seeing is, um, you know, segments, segments on television. You're going to start seeing 988 on billboards and buses around, uh, around the state. Uh, we're definitely going to have our marketing team reaching out to, um, you know, diff- different populations and different, um, uh, different communities within Rhode Island who have either you know been uh, underrepresented in the area of behavioral health supports and services, or have you know a, a predisposition to, to to being exposed to a lot of the behavioral health crises that we see in and out of the program level on a daily basis. And so mm-hmm. there's uh, a lot happening in terms of uh, you know identifying key contacts, uh, reaching out to those folks, 
having uh, having in person exchanges with with folks and and you know doling out the the great deal of marketing material that we have stacked up over here at the program. Uh, so there's uh, there's a ton that we're doing to get the word out, and I think that what we're going to see is that this is going to spread like wildfire. Um, the you know a part of the first project year and a big pillar of this 988 um, initiative is increasing access. Uh, and just the change to a three-digit number and a few shout-outs here and there have uh, nearly doubled the amount of calls that we've gotten over the 988 line. Um, and so it really goes to show you that when you've got a good idea like this, when you make it easy and accessible, that is a, a big driving force in terms of raising awareness and not only that but also like utilization uh when the when the program first launched when this initiative first launched there was a lot of discussion about this kind of transition to a three-digit number and i i can tell you from from firsthand experience looking at the data it really does make a substantial difference in terms of just transitioning from a 1-800 number to a three-digit number uh, it makes all the difference in the world. And so the the marketing that's coming subsequent to that is really just going to help to bolster and support that uh, and really and really get the get the word out. And I'm and I'm confident that our marketing team and, and the folks who are working in communications are going to do an excellent job of of letting folks know that. Joe Ash, he's the director over at BH Link. It's nine eight eight and it's something that everybody should know and we should share it with with folks because Again, you never know when you or someone that you care about is going to fall into this type of, of um, quite frankly, darkness. And we've we've seen outcomes that are horrid in these scenarios. And you end up asking yourself, you know, did that person have the resources that they need? And most of the time, the answer is no. And and this is the fundamental, um, life saving, life altering type of work that we need a lot more of. So I, I salute you and I salute the organization and the project itself. Thanks for your time this morning as well. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. At HealthSource RI for Employers, we provide access to health insurance to more than 1,100 local businesses and nonprofits. And 96% of them renew through us every year. Maybe it's our choice of 19 different health plans, our 10 years of customizing solutions, or our one local team of dedicated experts helping employers find quality health insurance. See how our numbers stack up for you. Learn more at healthsourceri.com slash employers.